everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drive on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes. Make sure the levels fall from low. I got them girls shining oh so bright. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is that time again. Another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing. Ing. We got one. Ladies and gentlemen, Baba Ganoush, the big guy, CEO, founder, power athlete, on vacation. And out of a courtesy for the big guy, Burn Band is on. We don't have to roast him. We don't have to talk about small calves. Well, we have his crow magnum size. <laughs> hey, we have very important things to discuss. And That's we right. Don't want to waste anybody's time. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is a crew episode of the podcast. We have an extended member of the crew dialing in from his own very own ranch, the Scutnik Ranch. D- does the ranch have a name yet, Ben, or no? No, we've been working on that, and I think ranch might be a little bit of an overstatement. I say homestead. 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 Mm. Fair enough. Ben Skutnik, block one coach, faculty member of uh, health and sports sciences, sciences at University of Louisville. Uh, are you, where does the PhD candidate fit into this as well? PhD candidates kind of working on, precision nutrition coach, power athlete, nutrition coach. CSCS. CSCS. Lots of stuff in there. What have we missed? Great guy. Weird uh, hair. We forgot solid his mustache. Decently. We forgot his middle, middle initial. X. It's X, right? <laughs> Xander? Xander? Xander Kane? Oh, my God. Star of Triple X. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a movie podcast. This is a, uh, a Q&A podcast. We went to the hotline. Hot, hot, hot. Hotline. The Power Athlete Radio Hotline, which is live. We are taking questions for myself text the crew john our nutrition folks you name it and we even have some phone a friend opportunities from some podcast alumni so if you have a question call us leave a message that number is 929 ing ing zero that number 929-464-464-0 you're gonna get a nice friendly greeting from the crew and then you can go ahead and leave us a message like the one we're about to listen to today um, that's talking a little bit about, well, asking us about a popular wearable in the space of training and nutrition and all that stuff, right? Should we, do we have any small talk? Should we just get, get into it? Right, let's get into it. And then the small talk, I feel, will come naturally with this crew. Sounds good. All right, so Ben, here we go. This is what my man, longtime listener, Vince Herman Hi, my name's Vince Herman, and I was wondering, I just got the Wolf Strap 3, and I was wondering what you guys thought of it as a training tool and its viability, if it's uh, something I should uh, hang on to and use, or if it's something that's just a giant waste of my money. (laughs) Thank you. All right. You're welcome, Vince. Thank you for listening. Uh, So, the Whoop Strap. So, the Whoop Strap is a wristband. Which pretty kind of, kind of a cool chain, like I guess entered the space, pretty cool concept where it's like 
It's a, it's a wearable you can wear at all times because it has a rechargeable battery pack that you hot swap, right? Now, I know the big guy had an early version of the Whoop Band and wasn't too impressed. Well, it, it was interesting because uh, I don't know exactly, maybe, Ben, you can clue us in in a moment here, how they work, but it was based off heat from John sharing it. So when he would go to weld, uh-huh. he would burn upwards of, I don't know, 14,000 calories a yeah. day according to that so yeah. that instance i don't know if it was built for the welding community but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so how do we want to tackle this ben so we, we looped you in because being a member or in the sports sciences space i know you've done some research on this stuff you yourself ha- are a user of this stuff i know i got one of the garmin watches i've um tinkered with like fitbit back in the day who they're really the pioneer of this stuff right like i i that was going to be one of my questions for the crew who was first but and you also heart rate monitor we can throw oh, that yeah, in there yeah it's yeah, wearable yeah. so the question is it's viability so why don't we just let's not talk about whoop or should we talk about whoop or should we talk about let's just talk about wearables and the viability and why the why do people mm-hmm. even wear this stuff so ben where are you at with this I mean, I'm, like you said, I have, I mean, on me right now, I have two wearables. I have the Aura Ring and a, a Polar watch. Um, I'm a big fan of wearables in that uh, they do provide some context to what's going on, you know? I think the real issue is being able to action what they tell you, though, right? I happen to be, like you said, in a field. Uh, my education is in this field, so I'm able to uh, conceptualize what these numbers are telling me. Uh, because the big issue, if there is one, with wearables is what we call the black box phenomena, where, you know, like you mentioned, the Whoop uh, was saying that John was burning 14,000 calories. You don't know how it got there, right? You think it was using heat, but this black box phenomena means that these wearable technology are taking in something, uh, whether it's some kind of pulse wave measure or body temperature or whatever it is. And they're using whatever algorithms they're using a lot of times proprietary. Uh, and then they're spitting out a number. And so it's that black box phenomenon that I think is kind of the hang up where it, since you don't know what's going on, it's, it's tough to really trust wholeheartedly what it's giving you. Does that, does that make sense? For sure. And going to, uh, like, let's just use steps, right? Steps as a, um, a metric to measure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like pretty strongly correlated to you get some mm-hmm. steps, you get some activity. It helps with your, your daily caloric burn. But there will be times where like I'm sitting and tinkering with something and then my steps goal, I just, I just crossed it. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. And that's what's great about exercise. You, if you just put these wearables on, you can exercise without exercising. But there is an example of like, okay, this clearly using like an accelerometer device and the pattern of whatever I was doing, like moving shit or turning the page is registering as steps. Now, it's probably pretty consistent with that. So I guess if your activity is consistent, then you could account for that or take the watch off if you're doing shit. But well, I, I don't think they're having people with the goal of gaming it to hit their numbers. Where, but it, but did, it comes down to, can, well, can I even trust any of this data now? Yeah. If they, if they can't calculate and differentiate me turning a page in my giant textbook of Texas blog posts, <laughs> um, how can I trust it to actually monitor my steps or differentiate? 
and that's probably not the best example, but a more meaningful one would be John's experience. Or you've presented a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. Would be John's experience with trying to leverage this and he's just sitting and welding all day, which in and of itself is more than like just sitting and, and reading. reading or watching TV. Like there's more, uh, I guess the, the heat is presenting a stress, but that wearable is going to recommend to him now based off that algorithm that he needs two days of rest from welding for six hours. Or yeah. Uh, does it tell you how much you need to eat or, yeah. okay. So then that would fuck up his, uh, it could, if he was not as tuned in, Mm-hmm. with his nutrition maybe it messes him up right and this goes into maybe like insight on there is like metabolic load or caloric burn and let's say mm-hmm. someone is leveraging or relying on the their wearable to tell them how many calories they're burning so that they could eat that many calories i mean there's a risk there i'd imagine ben like going into that yeah. black box right so real quick i want to take a step back to steps right you brought up steps and how you know, my watch will measure my steps. My aura ring will measure my steps. But part of the issue is you have to go back to where they're getting their algorithms. And with steps specifically, they're getting them from one of two different types of devices. One that's worn at the hip and one that's worn on the ankle and wrist at the same time, right? So these research studies that have shown that's increased steps get you closer to health or whatever the outcome measure is, right? There's sound science behind that, but the devices used were measuring at different areas, right? So, you know, maybe my watch, for instance, it's taking step measurements, but it's basing it off the measurement accuracy that was gotten from a study that measured at the hip, right? So there you have it. If I'm sitting there reading a book with a hip, uh, what we call accelerometer, that's how they measure steps. It's a, it's a device that detects motion in the three different uh, planes uh, of motion if i'm wearing a hip accelerometer it's not going to pick up my page turning it's really only going to pick up steps jumping things like that right so if my watch is using the algorithm from a hip accelerometer but now i'm turning pages that's how that kind of mistake happens right so one thing when people are buying this technology if they can is try to go back and see where these measures are coming from right so uh, we were talking about which one came first. And I actually think it was the Nike fuel band. If you guys remember that, it was like Nike Vaguely. plus and you got fuel points and like, Oh, so is that what they put in your shoe and like you tracked on an app? Yeah. Or does this precede that? The, so it was, it was, there was a whole system, right? It hooked up to your iPod. There was a foot pod that you could put inside the sole of your shoe. And then there was a wrist. Um, it was just a band, but in theory, there you have it. You have a foot and you have a wrist measurement, right? But a lot of people didn't get the special shoes that needed the foot pod. They just got the wrist. And so they would get these huge, they, they were called fuel points, but they would get these huge scores on fuel points. And Nike had like this online leaderboard. And so that, that was the first device that really sparked my field to look at this stuff. Because they noticed like, hey, a lot of people are buying these wearables. Let's see if it means anything. And it overestimated by something like, 20% or something like that. And so now getting into what Luke brought up about, well, there's a caloric load or a metabolic load that's equated to this stuff. If you're overestimating by 20%, you know, that can be pretty significant. If then you're somebody who says like, oh, my workout, according to my straps that I burnt a thousand calories, well, I need to go replenish a thousand calories. Right. So right off the bat, there's some mismatch there. Need to, but or then that get in- to. 
replenish. Uh, yeah, get to like, oh, I get to have two euros tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's that's how I justify my half a pint of ice cream because I right. burnt obviously, right? Um, but yeah, so there lies another issue where you know it's not all calories are equal. You know, I mean, it again, it's an estimation coming from these devices, and then your body, de- depending on. I'll say like anthropometrics, right? Two people weigh 180 pounds. One person's 25% body fat. One person's 6% body fat. The leaner person's going to be burning hotter. Mm-hmm. So they can do the same activity at the same speed, the same heart rate, whatever. But the leaner person is going to be burning more calories because they have more lean tissue. Mm-hmm. But the very few of these devices take that into account. So then they give this kind of like blanket caloric load and so there's issues there as yeah, well. Yeah, because they're they're realistically, I bet they would go off a of BMI, wouldn't they? Yeah, typically. I mean, typically it's not it's body with fat. that. Some devices, some devices you can uh, connect to like a, a wireless scale. So I have another. I have a wireless scale that measures body fat and, and bone density and things like that. But there's an error involved with that. Yeah, you right? wrote up because that. It's right. not. Right. So it's not 100% accurate from that device. And then that gets plugged into another device that has some inherent error as well. So it kind of, it builds this level of confidence in the user saying, hey, like I'm putting in all this information from getting a very specific output or that's what they think. But when you peel the layers back, you realize it's a lot of estimating, which you can say is probably closer to where they were than without it, maybe. Mm -hmm. But it it shouldn't be taken necessarily at face value. It should maybe be kind of an idea. So if it says you burnt a thousand calories, did you really burn a thousand calories? Probably not, but maybe you can use that as a gauge to say, okay, if this 60 minute conditioning piece burnt a thousand calories, then I know if I did 45 minutes, that's going to be, you know, less than that. I, I don't know. You can build kind of a, uh, a way to approach workouts on a broader scale without these exact numbers. That's interesting. And then in terms of the, how, are you, do you know what sensors these things use, Ben? Yeah, they usually are pretty uh, transparent about that. Yeah. So you have a few different sensors. I mean, the very first wearable, like you mentioned, was heart rate monitors. Heart rate monitors have been around for decades. Uh, and those use actual electronic leads. So actual, if in the strap, if you look at most heart rate uh, monitors, they have kind of that smooth plastic rubber. What it's doing is, is covering up uh, some two electronic leads. And so those are like, if you go to the hospital and get a stress test and they hook up a whole bunch of leads to you, uh, that's a, the same concept. So it started there. But then more recently, we've made kind of a jump from these hardwired electronic leads to these optical sensors. And so what those optical sensors, this would be like your your Apple Watch, my Polar Watch, anything that has like a green light with it, right? When you can see on the sensor, it shines a green light to make the measurement. That's an optical sensor. And what that's doing, instead of detecting the electrical activity that those leads were detecting, because when your heart beats it makes an electrical it's now blood in the very very superficial blood vessels right because we know with each heartbeat 
the blood is going to move. And so then through some algorithms using uh, kind of pulse wave velocity is what we call it, or the speed at which the blood is moving, it can detect or it can uh, estimate heart rate. And then because it, you've entered your height and your weight, it can kind of do this roundabout estimation of how many calories you're burning. And so that's the optical uh, measure. And that is probably most common, I would say, with the current stuff. I think uh, Whoop is optical now because they have upgraded. I, I saw that they upgraded. I don't know exactly. I've never had a Whoop strap, um, so I don't know exactly what they do specifically. But there, there's an optical uh, component. And then there's also, so like the Aura Ring pairs an optical sensor with a thermal sensor, right? So then the concept there is it's getting two different inputs. Because if you have a high heart rate, you probably should have a high body temperature, right? If you're exercising, if your heart rate's up because you exercise, your body temperature is also up. But say your heart rate is up, but your body temperature is low, that we can start to talk about kind of the recovery things, right? If you're under recovered, we know that your resting heart rate is going to be high, but your body temperature might not be as increased, right? And so that's how devices like the Aura Ring can kind of get to those measures as it starts to connect these dots and, and make these kind of jumps and assumptions, which aren't necessarily wrong, but they are assumptions, right? They're not hard measured uh, truths. So, so yeah, those are kind of the sensors that we have these days. I'd say optical is probably most popular, optical plus thermal. Um, and then the heart rate straps still use electronic leads. And that's why truthfully heart rate straps are probably the most accurate because it's, it's still an indirect measure, but it's as close to direct as possible without inserting tubes into your body. I'll take the tubes. Just get it, get it over with. Ben, do you know how they, they would update? Does the algorithm change? Like if you have your aura ring or the watches y'all are wearing, am I stuck in that? Like I'm stuck in an iPhone 4? Or is the, the algorithm changing or things on the back end updated so this hardware piece that I have, it doesn't just go defunct as soon as version 2.0 comes mm -hmm. out? Yeah, uh, yes and no, right? So there are firmware updates on a pretty regular tempo. Uh, I would say probably with my Aura Ring, I get something like once every six months. And so that's kind of the algorithm updates and things like that. And that's, I mean, Aura Ring does a good job. Not all companies do that. Some companies just give you the device and then they don't keep up with the research essentially because that's where the algorithms get updated. New research comes out and, and they update those estimations. But if there's a hardware update, so a new sensor, which new doesn't always necessarily mean better. Oftentimes it means cheaper. That would be like going from version 1.0 to 2.0. If it brings down production costs, uh, if profitability is higher because it's cheaper to make or whatever, right? That's usually when we see a jump in uh, devices. Sometimes, very not so often, I'll say, uh, they will change it for something like usability. Um, I know the Aura Ring version 1.0 was kind of a big clunky device, and now they've pared it down to just what looks like a normal ring. Sometimes that happens. Uh, and that's how they also change from version 1.0 to 2.0. But more often than not, that's driven by uh, the dollar. Mm -hmm. And I got to imagine that because along with a lot of the wearables, you have the app. It, it, most of it goes straight like pipes into your phone. Uh, probably some on like web dashboard you could really get like maybe log in. But that is where I think 
you know, th- there's there's a lot of layers of estimation that kind of start to, as you compound those, affect accuracy. Is that a fair statement? Like even collection point and skin pigmentation can affect the accuracy of the collection of these sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, so like uh, when we did have uh, Harpreet on, who's the CEO of Aura 309, right? Power Athlete Radio 309. Yes. He was talking about just in general, the, the ring is a more accurate collection point than the wrist. And then I remember doing some Google foo and some half-assed internet research that led me to some studies about heart rate accuracy uh, of chest strap versus wrist versus r- finger. And that mm-hmm. like, like you said, Ben, like heart, heart rate monitoring over the chest is 98% accurate. Everything else was in that 80 to 70 percentile of accuracy. Mm-hmm. So you have that is layer number one. Layer number two then is the algorithms after the data is pushed into the app and these things spin up to provide you insights like how recovered are you? How intense was your workout? What's your heart rate variability? It was even often estimation that is probably misappropriate or mislabeled as accurate. These are like mm-hmm. all of these things then can decide or provide you um, insight on what you need to do with your training and where like how does that become useful i guess if you're like an endurance person maybe you could like apply that but let's say you're going to a gym or crossfit gym or you're a field sport athlete and your coach isn't reading this shit like you're you're at the mercy of what they program for you so what do you do then do you like do you dog it and even when there's a 30 percent margin of error like what's the threshold there yeah i mean so in in my day job i do get the opportunity to work with some pretty elite level athletes and uh the coaches that coach them right so these elite level coaches as well and and yeah like you said oftentimes what they're interested in is like a green light red light scenario like are they good to go or not at all right and there's no real in between and and then you have like the team dynamic component well if you know john is sitting out but luke and tex have to practice but john's a starter you know and so there's a lot of layers there right so yeah like you said these other scenarios where you're not necessarily like an individual athlete uh there's a there's a lot of influences there so really the first step is if the device isn't collecting any kind of what we call like baseline so for instance I, when i bought my watch before it really gave me any of that like recovery feedback it needed i needed to wear it for three days straight and it collected and collected and collected i think the aura ring does something similar there's a couple of devices that do the same thing and what it's doing there is collecting your baseline so like you said heart rate variability where mine is different than yours different than texas my baseline my overexertion levels my all my different levels are different than everybody else's so if your device doesn't collect the baseline then all of that extra uh, kind of analysis, the recovery scores and things like that doesn't really mean much. Uh, now we do have with the current tech, there's like this whole machine learning component to where we can build that, but that's kind of the first flag, right? If it's not collecting a baseline, those measures should be taken with a grain of salt. And then, yeah, what do you do? How do you action it? Well, you know, sometimes you can't. And so then it's like it, would you be better off not knowing that you're potentially overtrained, right? If you can't action it, but you have in the back of your head, like, man, I'm already overtrained, but coach is making me go. Well, now you've added another influence that could potentially derail your performance. Whereas, you know, when I was in the sport coaching realm, I would talk about how 
I loved dumb athletes. And I mean dumb because they would show up and like, what do I do today? Mm-hmm. And it was, and they didn't think past that. They just did what they were supposed to do and they went on, right? But now this tech has created very smart, I'll put air quotes on that, very smart athletes where they have a lot of this information. But yeah, if they can't action it, then it just becomes this kind of information that sits in the back of the head and can potentially negatively influence, uh, influence the outcome. So yeah, it's tough. Uh, and that's why I kind of said in the beginning, if you can't action it, maybe it's it's not worth it, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess it's not all doom and gloom because even with some of this margin of error and inaccuracy piece and potentially the inability to, like, assuming you can action it, like, it can be an accountability piece. Oh, so that mm-hmm. is... So that is like a, a definitely a perk of it is like it will monitor your activity. Let's say you your goal is to like get up and walk. What in the... it'll buzz you and it'll track it and it'll hold you accountable. You know, so like it depends on the person I think and and what you're trying to get out of it. I would say if you're trying to attack like really dial up your precision on your calories in calories out monitoring, uh, like you said, Ben, I don't know that that this is your solution per se. But if your goal is just to like ratchet up accountability and get some general insights that you're willing to just observe and potentially change lifestyles or uh, monitor or modify lifestyle on, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good buy. Don't most of yeah. them have accountability networks? Like you said, the, the Nike originally had this big leaderboard. Do most of these just link other people up and show you where you stand or is it all individualized? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, I know, so for instance, my watch, my Polar watch, um, there is through Polar an app where I can connect with friends, but then I can also upload all my data to the Strava app. And Strava is right. like this big uh, app where then I can have these challenges with people. I know Whoop has kind of a, a universal leaderboard where you can also join like little teams uh, as well. And so, yeah, I think you guys are right on with the accountability component. Uh, this last, uh, or for my mom's, uh, last birthday, I bought her a smartwatch, and it it really was for that. She works a desk job, right? She gardens. Like, if you ask her, like, oh, what do you do for exercise? She said she gardens, and it's like, that's not really exercise, mom. That's just living, right? So, I bought <laughs> it to kind of initiate more movement, and it's worked, right? She put it on the first day and was like, oh, I thought I was doing a whole bunch, but really I wasn't, and so she's made some lifestyle changes. So yeah, absolutely. But I would say if you're at the higher level there's either more advanced technology um, that you can use. So a whoop strap, if you're an elite athlete, probably isn't the most um, prudent technology out there if you're going to leverage some kind of technology. Uh, Or like you said, if you are at the point where you're getting granular with calorie counting and things like that, maybe something a little bit more accurate, but again, it can show you trends. So if, Mm -hmm. if, you know, an hour long, uh, Jack Street workout, you can see does that burn more or less than an hour long field street or field strong workout, right? You can start to make those comparisons. So then you can say, hey, if I'm doing all these different activities, I can get a gauge on which is taking more or less, right? The actual numbers might not matter, but you can start to piece together um, what what really the effects are, kind of the global effects, right? Yeah, yeah, more of like a longitudinal, and that's what's cool about a lot of the dashboard stuff. And I, th- I think Whoop is pretty elegant with that in terms of how you can evaluate like a longitudinal activity curve. Um, 
you know, the, the one thing that's tricky is just the readiness thing. And, you know, I remember talking to Ben Crookston, who's uh, founder of Train Heroic or partner with the training stuff. And he was talking about how, because we, you know, we, hey, it'd be cool to get an API to plug in, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, why? Do, you know, and he has this interesting Socratic method on whittling it down that it's just like, it'd be a fun project. But, you know, but they have their readiness score. And mm-hmm. there's apparently been validate this. There's a chunk of research that says just for most athletes, their intuition is just as accurate as some of the wearable stuff in terms of their recover- readiness and recovery. Ness. Ness. Yeah. No, that's 100%. Um, oftentimes, the greatest athletes will know, they'll self regulate. Right. They will know. And, and I've seen this firsthand. So before all this, I was a swim coach and I had the opportunity to coach some really high level swimmers. And you could tell they would do the workouts, but they were going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And as a young coach, that used to really frustrate me. But then you learn they're preserving themselves because they know today is not the day. Right. Whereas someone who's like myself, not necessarily uh, genetically gifted, but thought like, oh, I'm going to work hard. Like I would attack training like I want to crush it every day and that's just not conducive to long-term performance right you kind of run yourself into a hole so oftentimes yeah the best question uh is just hey how am I feeling or if you're a coach how are you feeling right and whatever feedback they give you is pretty accurate right because regardless of what their heart rate variability score is if if they say they're feeling pretty beat up they're feeling pretty beat up like you can't you can't get them out of that psyche right Mm -hmm. if they're in that headspace of like oh i'm run down today well then you run down today so today's probably not the best day to hammer now you can say well there's some like mental component to it and i guess i could get behind that but yeah oftentimes immediate feedback like that uh tends to be pretty in line with what the biological markers say Mm -hmm. Uh, and and the thing about that is it's too simple right people don't (laughs) want to believe like that it's a lot a lot like body composition people who've been studying body composition can just eyeball it and they can get pretty close to whatever the devices say but that's too easy right people don't want to believe that it's that easy they want to get this kind of confirmation of i'm spending all this money on this tech to get more than i could get just by asking myself how am i feeling today mm-hmm. and and so you know that's that's kind of the issue that's made this such a profitable uh, market in such a booming market because there is tons of wearable uh, wearable technology out there right now interesting is there anything else we want to cover on this text more in line with the the performance aspect and when the ergometer it was applied to soccer players and aussie rules football and there was a big boom because australia i understand their sports scientists well ahead of what we got in the United States here. Mm-hmm. And so they took the number of steps and the kilometers that these athletes were covering within a game, and that directly changed the training. So we're going to have to mm-hmm. run X amount K because you did the, this To prep in a game. them for X amount K, yeah. Yeah, and that took away from the speed, the explosiveness of some of the athletes, and pounding pavement led to a lot of overuse injuries. So do wearables potentially as they enter into fitness in our mindset are they going to as general pop athlete face the same challenges that plague those soccer athletes yeah so a couple of things there one yeah for the general population we talked about how a lot of these have leaderboards these online leaderboards where you can compare to other people 
this is just my speculation or my kind of outlook on it is I think those ultimately though well-intended might do more harm than good because if I am somebody who is a real go-getter right I really like to train and I get on a leaderboard and I see that Luke uh, has a strain score of 0.5 higher than me yeah today. I do well I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna bang out some curls because I want to be able to beat Luke right mm -hmm. and so that kind of competitiveness on that I think it, again is well intended because it gets people doing stuff but it can a certain type of person maybe that type a personality that really wants to be the best can dig themselves into a hole pretty easily right mm -hmm. now the interesting thing is i know whoop also has a leaderboard for sleep but i would tend to believe that people would be more apt to have a higher strain than a better sleep score right because that sounds right cool. oh, I, I was worked harder today instead of i slept better today you know uh and so with the general population i think that's where you're your trainer or your coach or whoever works with them uh, needs to be that voice of reason, you know, needs to help contextualize some of this stuff, help them understand the broader picture of everything. But on the performance side, you know, these high level athletes, we're seeing the pendulum swing the other way, right? The NBA is a great example of that. We have all of this uh, player load data coming out now, right? We have people resting. Uh, we have athletes resting through the regular season because they know they're going to make the playoffs and things like that. And, and that's where my uh, job at the university kind of sits is in that realm. And, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of back and forth on that because I do see the value there because there is some definite, uh, I'll say indicators through load management and things like that about how you can avoid injury. You know, we, we know uh, using uh, like the catapult system, it's a GPS system, uh, they wear these little vests that have this little GPS unit and it can track running speeds and, and total distance ran and stuff. And it calculates load, essentially player load. And we can use some of those markers to show uh, if there is a too rapid of an increase from week to week or, or things like that. And we can help manage injury that way. And at that level, that's probably not a bad thing. But what I'm afraid of now is that's trickling down. So we have these elite athletes who are like finely tuned Ferraris and we're applying the same concepts from them now to these younger athletes. And while I'm not a, a fan of overtraining youth, we do need to understand that youth are not small adults. They are a little bit more resilient in certain aspects and they do need a certain level of stress to, to progress, right? They do need to be pushed, but it needs to be you know, directed. It can't just be this blanket, oh, we're going to run and run and run. It needs to be directed, but it, it is, I think, important. Otherwise, we get non-resilient athletes later on. Uh, I, I think you guys had um, uh, Derek Hansen on, right, sprint coach, talking about, and you guys were talking about feed the cats and how that kind of misses a, a important component. I think it's right in line with that, right? Yeah. The youth need just, they need to train. It needs to be smart training, but they need to train. Otherwise, they're not going to get to that level. You know, the John Wellborn, how John Wellborn trained in year 10 of the NFL was not how he trained as a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could say, well, some of the training he did as a sophomore wasn't smart. Sure. I'll buy that 100 percent. But you can also say if he didn't train the way he did as a sophomore in high school, maybe he doesn't get to year 10 of the NFL. Right. right. And so it's this, it's this tough balance there. Um, but that's kind of my 
my one worry about tech making such a, a big appearance in high level performance, not so much at the level that it's being used at, but people at lower levels seeing that and trying to apply the same concepts to their level. Uh, I, I think there might be some disconnect there. Mm-mm-mm. What would be interesting, and Ben, you shared this with me, the the new NSCA certification that's coming out. Can you explain what that is and then how it can potentially help educate more people not to mess is, up our kids? What's it called? Yeah, uh, is the Certified Performance and Sports Scientist, I think, right? The CPSS? That's, that is it. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so what we're seeing now, before it was just kind of the strength and conditioning specialist. That was the strength coach. But because technology is coming in at such a rate, we're seeing a lot more sports scientists would be the term, right? And so my understanding uh, is the NSCA has put out uh, the this certification track. And my understanding is that it's going to help educate folks to really conceptualize kind of what we were just discussing, right? To understand these big picture concepts and to understand the application of what all this data is telling us, right? Because uh, right now there is a mad dash uh, whether it's through force plates or GPS systems or all of these things, they're starting to become so cheap that high school systems can use them now. And so we're getting coaches at these lower levels using this technology. And so I think the NSCA has noticed that in trying to make an effort to help formalize an educational mm-hmm. track to allow these coaches to you know, most prudently use this information. Um, so I, I'm excited. I think it, uh, two years is when it opens up, I think. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes because that is definitely much like the rest of the world. Data is becoming a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it's going anywhere in sport. So I think especially for those young strength coaches or those young performance coaches who are just now getting into it, that'll be a, a valuable tool for them. Uh, but I think it'll also help folks who've been around for a while and they need kind of a crash course to understand this stuff. Because again, we can't deny you know, the old strength coach, it's worked, right? There, there have been successful athletes who have used zero technology, right? Uh, so that method isn't necessarily useless anymore, but it's slowly getting pushed out, I think, just because of the availability of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I think it'll be good, but I think people need to remember, like we talked about, the best thing you can do is ask, how am I feeling today? Or how are you feeling today, right? These these technological advances shouldn't necessarily replace, they should just maybe add context. Or uh, if, you know, if you need like that third person opinion or something like that, right? They just kind of influence, but shouldn't delegate or shouldn't decide how training or how performance should go. Mm-hmm. And the readiness survey on Train Heroic that Ben's kind of poking back to is, I want to say it's um, how sore are you, how tired are you, how how's you your mood, feeling? Yeah, how and then mood? like, yeah, sleep. how's your mood, and then how's your sleep? No, yeah, how's your sleep, soreness, feeling, or mood, energy, and what's your energy level? So mm-hmm. those are the four mm-hmm. questions that they use, and uh, I know we've put we've put together cycles based off readiness and kind of leveraged uh, Chris Morris's period fluidization. Whoa, fluid periodization. Uh huh. Long day fluid periodization which ultimately is in a a simple form picking the right movements and volume uh relative to that yeah and intensity relative to that readiness state 
But he used the Omega Wave and yes, and he's stuff. University of Kentucky football. How a normal person, not a Division One collegiate athlete in the SEC, can apply mm-hmm. the readiness score? I feel is grindstone. Oh yeah, yep. yep. On yep. training, pro train heroic yep. power athletes grindstone program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so, I, go ahead, Den. Well, I was I was going to say I think the cool thing about like train heroics readiness survey is also as somebody becomes more inundated in training, that actually becomes more accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes what you'll see is somebody who's new to training, you hit them one day and then the next day they're going to say, oh, I'm just wrecked. But then they slowly realize like, well, that's not wrecked because we're going to hit you with something worse than, you know? And so mm-hmm. the more they train, the more accurate that becomes. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know when the last time I scored fives on that was, but I know I also really haven't scored twos in a long time because mm-hmm. I gained an understanding of what those feelings really are. Mm, interesting. I'm with you. I'm mostly fives on uh, rest days. <laughs> <laughs> Even then my mood's probably a two. Yeah. Uh, no. How about this, Luke? For the next week, I'm out. or I we mean, need longer than that, right? I grade Luke. Luke grades me. Sure. <laughs> Zero. So what's the well, cer- so what's the consensus though? Let's, so let's let's kind of start to button this up here. So my man well, Vince so, wants to know: Is it worth it or is it not? I mean, I would say if he's got the income, right, and he's checking all the other low hanging boxes. So if his sleep is already seven and a half, eight hours a night, um, if he's already eating pretty well, right, eating. Uh, colorful plant choices, eating good sources of protein. Um, you know, if he's drinking enough water, things like that. If those are all in line and he has the disposable income, sure, right. But I'm. Would you also have to say what, what, what about what about if you like were to do a, a self assessment and I, part what I'm trying to get here at it is he going to spin out or get wrapped around the axle on some of these insights? as well mm. are you that type of personality yeah. what would you call that personality trait like not neurotic because that's a little extreme but if you can easily get tilted off kilter uh i don't know if it would be right for you either because just speaking in my experience i'm i enjoy mostly uh tracking sleep with these things mm-hmm. and when i wake up and i see that it was shitty sleep it's like, oh, that's interesting. I like, I know it's not going to change the tempo and intent of the day, but it will, right. it will definitely. If it's like three days in a row, I'm, it will change my behavior and be like, hey, Ash, we got to make something. We're throwing something in the crock pot. Dinner's quick. As soon as the baby's down, I'm down. Like that is it, you know. So, but I don't freak out on that single day with that single data point. I feel like there's people who do, and that's who might not. This might not be ideal for. Yeah. And, and that's something I think that could be solved through some self-education, right? Learning what these measures mean and kind of learning how things work. Cause I'm like you, my biggest uh, benefit from like the aura ring is it measures body temperature at night. So I use that. If I see there's a couple nights in a row where I'm decimals of a degree high, I know I'm probably getting sick. And then sure enough, three, four, five days of that. And then I get hit with something and so it gives me that kind of insight to be prepared for this. But like you said, it's not going to change how I execute the day. Um, but it just gives me a little bit of context, a little bit of insight. Um, but yeah, so maybe that personality, it's not the best for, uh, but I also think 
again, it comes back to, are you willing to action it also? Mm -hmm. If the whoop strap is saying, Hey, take a rest day that that's the hardest part for a lot of people. Cause whether it's on train heroic saying, well, there's a workout scheduled today, so I got to do it right. John didn't schedule a rest day today. So I need to do this. They kind of forget that John's scheduling these programs for thousands of people. So it's just kind of a broad stroke of like, Hey, if you're training, this is what you need to do today. Um, so if you, if you can't action it and specifically when it's telling you, you need to recover, then I just don't think you're getting the real value, right? Because you don't need, you shouldn't need somebody to confirm that you worked out, right? If you worked out and you got a good sweat and you're feeling a little, you know, a little bit of a pump or whatever, that should be enough to say like, Hey, you, you move the needle today. Really where the benefit comes is on the back end, the recovery, things like that. And if you're not willing to action those, if you're not willing to take an unplanned couple days off or back off and do some steady state aerobic instead of hammer the Johnny wad that day or something. If you're not willing to do that, then you're also not getting the value of the device, I would say. Um, and, and again, there's probably, if recovery is a big issue for you, there's probably more um, easily actionable things that you could spend money on, right? Whether that's uh, you take whatever the monthly cost is for whoop. I can't remember. And you put that towards body work for that month, or you, you know, you invest in some kind of self-release therapy, or you dump it into like working with Xanus or something. If you got like or a nagging, like there's, there's other things. Blackout, like, like I'm thinking blackout curtains, chili pad, yeah, like things to help, for help sure. sleep aid. If you are that type of guy, nutrition coach, shameless mm -hmm. plug for power athlete nutrition. Um, or just yeah, one-on-one. I, one -on -one, I mean, that's the thing. One-on-one -on -one, um therapy sessions with myself and Tex. So we we should start a business. That'd be where, two on one. Well, one. Oh, with each other. Yeah, you sit oh, in on me and Tex you, is one. -on -one. I'm gonna pay to watch you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in for that. Yeah, uh, Ben, uh, that'll be thirty-seven fifty, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll Venmo you, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it. So I don't want to downplay, or I don't want to. Uh, you know, say that these things are worthless because they're not. Uh, there is absolute worth potentially for the certain certain person. But my experience in either this role as a nutrition coach uh, with Power Athlete or my role at the university is it just seems like there might be other uh, easier barriers to cross before yeah. this. Um, but at the same time, if it's like a motivational thing, shoot. I mean, that's some of the best motivation to get sure. immediate feedback. You know, uh, my watch will vibrate and do this little like blinking thing. Every time I reach my activity goal, it's an arbitrary goal. It doesn't really mean much, but it's many accomplishments throughout the week. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's totally a way to, you know, stay positive and, and things like that, especially, you know, now with like the shelter in place and things like that, uh, that might be what you need to get out of a funk, you know, yeah. you know to give yourself something to do. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's value. Here's my thing, though. You're making this whoop band. Just put a watch on it. Because what if you're a watch guy? Okay, so you're a watch guy. Oh, the guy. whoop band doesn't have time? No, dude. Well, no. I, that's, and, yeah, like, if that's you're a watch guy, so what? Now you're like a, a, a fashion fitness bracelet guy and a watch guy? So let me get this straight. John Wellborn. Pinky ring? Is a pinky ring wearing and, and bracelet. Nickelback, nickelback bracelet wearing son of a gun. Oh, my goodness. I mean, are you surprised? No. But it does have, it is 24 hours and you get the, the hot swap, the batteries. There's some pros and cons. But nonetheless, Ben, thanks for taking the time to hop on and chat this stuff. I know it's like 
right in your wheelhouse. And listen, uh, is it Vince? Vince Herman? Is it a real name? Two first names. Vince Herman. Vince Baby. Vinny, we love you. Thanks for leaving us a message. Hopefully this was helpful. Um, and I'll tell you what, yeah, if this seems like it's right for you, pull the trigger. If not, no shame in it. And Power Athlete Nation, thanks for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. We got him. If you have Bring a question, hotline is open, baby. That is 929-ING-ING-0. 929-464-4640. Call us. Leave us a message after the beep. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!